you may ask. How did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. It's Sweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking to our learning stuff and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktor at gmail.com. And, of course, I will answer as many questions as I can. The leaves are down. Actually, I, I think all my leaves are down. And last Sunday, we had a beautiful program here in town. The uh, JFS um, has this, like, major um, leaf raking. People will go. They, they find out which the elderly and homebound can't really do their own leaves, probably can't afford to do their own leaves. And they send out teams of people. And in school, we have one grade. And it's their job to, it's uh, one of like the, you know, chesed, like, you know, a community service. And we take the class out and we break up. We have one of the teachers and I go out and another administrator. And we break the kids up and we go to different houses. And we really just have a great time. It's just beautiful. The kids are raking the the whoever is in the house might come out, say hello to the boys, thank the boys. Um, they actually, the the lady knew that we were coming, so she must have put in the freezer. She went and got one of these, called a Reisman cake. So she got us one of these cakes, and I broke about the pieces. We gave the kids. I got chocolate all over myself. Uh, but it was nice. Kids raked, bagged, put everything away. We spent about an hour. Really, really nice program. And um, that was Sunday, and actually the week before, um, I had this written down. I don't know if I talked about it yet, um, but it was my father's yard site. So I went in to Muncie, be with the family. My siblings come, my kids come, my nieces and nephews come, some of the grand- grandchildren, great-grandchildren come. Not my great-grandchildren. And so when a person completes... Um, a subject is maybe is probably the best word, like a tractate or a, um, a a whole portion of Mishnah. So he'll make what's called a siyam. In other words, it's a, anybody can sit and study, almost anybody. And when you complete a book, so you make a party. And it's it's something people will do in memory of the person who passed away. So for me, I've done this a lot. You know, this is something that is easier for me. I like it. I'm good at it. And I always have stuff prepared for these parties. So I had prepared what I was doing for my father. And I have a brother way younger than me. And he's just starting to taste what it means to finish something. And when he finishes something, it's a major accomplishment because he's putting an effort that he never put in before in his life. And it, w- it was beautiful. He gets up there, he's completing the tractate of, K- of Ksubis, and he doesn't even know what happens when you complete it. There's actually a whole prayer. There's a whole paragraph, or actually three paragraphs, that you read after the completion, which talks about uh, that uh, you should come back to this tractate, and God should help you remember the tractate, and uh, 
and blessings for the family and for the children and grandchildren. And then the Kaddish said at the end is actually specific for those who are no longer with us. And he was so excited. And all the people there, all the family was so excited for him. Again, I do this every year at, at the yard site. But he's never done it. And he gets up and he says, I have to read this whole paragraph? I said, yeah. And he had no problem. He read through it. He was pumped. I don't even think his wife realized how exciting it was. She saw how excited my own children were. So she went from the back of the room. She you know, went to the living room and dining room and the kitchen and the whole way, all the way to get all the way around where her husband was standing. And she's standing right next to him and she is pumped and she is excited. The whole scene was just beautiful and hopefully a good, a good, uh, good, I guess a deed, but the Torah study should certainly elevate my father's soul and I'm sure he was so, so proud. He's probably proud of me also, but for this, my brother wins the prize. And as always, before we go on, we just want to mention, of course, to all my dedicated listeners, I know you guys love the show, and I need your help. We got to help the show spread. I need you to go to my homepage. I need you to hit that donate button, leave a name, I'll give you a shout out, the memory of, happy birthday, and of course, in advance, I do thank you. So this week's Torah portion is a Torah portion of Vallejo, and... It's really a perfect time to discuss the beauty, the power of prayer. Why? Because at the beginning of the Torah portion, so first we have the three angels come. Abraham is, uh, is recovering from his circumcision. God doesn't want him to have any guests. Abraham wants guests. So God sends the three angels, and one is going to heal Abraham, and one is going to tell Sarah that next year she'll have a kid. One is going to be turning over Sodom and Amora, Sodom and Gomorrah. And they come, they leave, and then God tells Abraham that these five cities, Sodom and Gomorrah and three others, are so wicked that they just have to be wiped out, like nuclear annihilation. They were on a big stone. It's going to be turned over and sulfur and salt and total, total destruction. Except Lot, Abraham's nephew, is going to be saved. And anybody in his family is going to be saved. That's, that's uh, what's about to happen. So God informs Abraham, and Abraham will start to pray for Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, it is interesting to notice when it comes to Abraham. Let's take a step back. Abraham is known for his kindness of the three um, forefathers, each one had their, we'll call it their thing, right? What made them special. And for Abraham, it was kindness. So when the Torah wants to point out the specialty, the kindness of Abraham, it picks a story of three guys. And it was even though we happen to know the angels, and the Torah tells us they're angels, but Abraham thinks they're just three traveling Bedouins. He thinks they're just nothing special about these people, just traveling through... And he begs them to please come to my house and give you something to eat. And he ends up making a banquet for them. Because that's Abraham. Abraham doesn't really care who you are, what you are, how important you are, how not important you are. It doesn't go into the equation for Abraham at all. For Abraham, the only thing that matters is you are a person and I want you to recognize God. 
That's a that's a tremendous. That's that's how his kindness is based. Is that based on race, skin color, ethnicity? It doesn't matter. To Abraham, you're a human being, and that's really the next part of the Torah portion. These five wicked cities. So these people are rotten to the core because God is just annihilating them. And still, <clears throat> Abraham's going to pray for them. Now, he's not only praying for the good guy. He's not, he's not praying for somebody who he owes a favor to or somebody he looks up to or somebody that he cares about. It's just a city that's wicked. That's the opposite of everything he stands for because Abraham stands for kindness. These cities, Sodom and Amorah, they are the opposite, the complete opposite of kindness. And this is so interesting because I see that um, that's really a different conversation, but I think we're going to talk about it anyways. I think we're going to talk about it anyways. So, so, um, so, so Abraham, who, who cares about kindness, is looking to save the one city that could care less about kindness, and he's going to pray for them. So uh, let's talk about it. So first let's, you know, if I'm talking about how wicked they are, um, let's talk about who they are, and then, then maybe we'll get a better feeling for Abraham's prayers for them. Their wickedness was based on the fact that they happened to have been very wealthy. These five cities were massively wealthy. They, 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 there's just gold. Like you go in the backyard, you stick your shovel in the ground, you're pulling up gold, you're picking up jewels, you're who knows what. And they did not want to share their wealth at all. Since they didn't want to share their wealth at all, what they're going to do is um, they're going to make laws. And the laws are anti-charity laws, if you can imagine such a thing. Anti-charity laws. What does that mean? That anybody who comes to town, you can't invite him into your house. If he has money, try to get his money from him. You cannot. You certainly cannot give charity to people. And it's for these people that Abraham is going to be praying. He's praying for them. He's praying that God should not destroy them. He says, God, what if there's 50 righteous people? You can't save the city's 50 righteous people. Maybe they can uh, make a major change in this uh, nation. Okay. So God says, no 50. Maybe it's 45, right? Nine, right? 10 per city is like a minion, like a quorum. So there's not 10, there's nine per city, and God, you'll, you'll be the 10th. God says, if there's 45, I'll do it. But there's not 45. What about 40? Save four cities. What about 30? Save three cities. What about 20? Save two cities. What about 10? And it's so interesting, because if you look through the prayers, you see Abraham himself understands that he's sticking his neck out. Right? The guy could get angry. I say to destroy, you're arguing with me. What, what do you think you're doing? And still, Abraham continues and continues and presses. And, uh, and God says, sorry. But it's fascinating, right? Because we learn a lot of laws from Abraham's prayers. One of them is, it's okay to pray and be told no. It's okay to pray to God and give it your all, and God can say no, and it's not a wasted prayer. It's not wasted. God said no, but but what's the point of prayer? What am I trying to accomplish when, when, I, when I pray? When I pray, I'm looking to accomplish, I am talking to God. 
I recognize that God can take care of me. God can say no. But at least I recognize that my hope is only going to be when I talk to God. God can say yes. Great, I'm saved. God can say no. You think you didn't accomplish anything? You accomplished that you had a conversation with God. And that is a bigger accomplishment than anything you could have imagined. So that's what Avram, that's what Avram is doing. That's what Abraham is doing, right? He's, he's communicating. God's having, he's talking to him. You know, Abraham recognizes that this is so powerful that the next day when he goes to pray, he comes out to the same place again to pray all over again. Hi, maybe it's not a good place. God said no. This is the best place to pray because this is the place that God is listening to me and answering my prayers. Either answering or at least listening. Unlike the story with Bilaam and Balak when, when Bilaam tries to curse the Jewish people, so God says no in the first place, so they look for a new location. Oh, that's a bad location. What do you mean? God talked to you. It's an excellent location. But he told you no. So that actually teaches us a, a, a law that when people go to pray in synagogue, they're really supposed to have the same seat every week. There's tremendous value in recognizing I come to pray, this is my seat, this is where I'm comfortable, and this is where I'm going to pray. Yeah, it's like a soldier, right? Every soldier had the place where he stands. It's not, uh, it's not a hodgepodge wherever you happen to show up, whenever you show up. It shows a lack of, uh, of, of respect, a lack of importance to the whole thing. We like to have our assigned seats. I'm not saying if someone's in your seat... I'm not saying just to throw him out on his head and say, who do you think you are? Don't you know this is my seat? That we're not doing either, right? It's important to be nice, right? The guy's in your seat, probably a guest. Oh, say hello. Oh, are you from here? Oh, you know, and the, probably the guy will say, oh, am I in your seat? And he said, you know, I do sit here, but don't worry about it. I can sit anywhere. You're a guest, make yourself at home, or you can tell the guest, you know, there's another seat like right here, two down, is he's not here this week or, or no one sits there. He'll be comfortable. You'll be comfortable. When we're comfortable in our seats, then then it just enhances the whole prayer. But when you throw somebody out of his seat, he's not praying well. Now, you can't pray well because you're angry that the guy had the, the chutzpah to sit in your seat and who do you think he was and you're so busy and you're so thinking. Forget about it. Um, once we're talking about prayer... So uh, I had to give my daughter a story about prayer this week. It just happened to be that uh, the week I'm talking about prayer, she needed a story. And, you know, I was searching in some of my books, and then I, I find one of the golden oldies. And I gave it to her. She knew the story, and uh, I can't remember if I ever shared it with you, but it's uh, also in the line of prayer. So this story takes place back in Russia. I'm assuming in the, in the uh, late like 1917 in that that era. So a guy's on his way to his office, and somebody, he's passing by the synagogue, and a guy calls out, I need a center. Center means 10. I I need someone to make a 10th man. I must have a minion. Oh, you know, I got to go to work. Please, please, it's my father's yard site. I must say Kaddish, please. Okay, no problem. Fine. I'll come in for a few minutes. The guy goes in. There's five people sitting there. Five people. He doesn't even have a minion yet. I'm not the tenth guy. I'm the sixth guy. 
Who knows what it's going to take? He wants to get up. He says, no, you can't get up. I, I need you here. He sits down. The guy's running around. Five minutes, ten minutes. He brings another two stragglers in. Finally, 15 minutes later, there's ten guys there. So the businessman who walked in assumed the guy just wants to say one Kaddish. And they'll all go to work. What happens? The guy starts from the beginning of the prayers. He says, oh my gosh, he wrote me and I'm going to be here for 45 minutes. But what can I do? A fellow Jew needs a favor. He needs me to pray. He needs me to be here. Fine, I'll stay here. 45 minutes later, the guy says, okay, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. You did a mitzvah. It was very appreciated. Okay, go. So the guy takes a briefcase, starts walking out, walking down the block to get to his office, and all of a sudden there's a mob coming in his direction. And he says, what's going on? He says, whoever it was, there was a rebellion at that time. Somebody just took over. And they said, they're, they're, the, the soldiers are here, they're going in, they're shooting, they're pillaging, they're taking everybody's money, run for your life. Run. Any businessman they're going after, they want his money. So the guy takes his briefcase and runs. And so the guy's thinking to himself, I thought that by sticking around for the prayer, that it was costing me money. Sticking around for the prayer saved all my money. And as we could think when we go to pray, and we're in such a rush, and we got to get out of there, and maybe we got to leave early, and by leaving early, we'll get to our business deal, and we'll get more business done, and we'll make more money. It's just the opposite. When you're running out of prayers, when you're running out of davening, when you're running out of synagogue, you're running out of shul, you think you're helping yourself? You think God can't take care of you if you stay a few minutes longer to pray? And that leads me to an even better story. I've told this story before. There's a person in town here, a famous person. He's told over the story, a big businessman, CEO of banks. So he tells over the following story. And this story is just like, just eye-opening. So he was in Manhattan. He had a, a, a meeting with banks. It, it was a discussion of uh, purchasing banks, of bank mergers. And he had set up to have a meeting his bank, which was a small bank at the time, um, to meet with a bigger bank. And uh, he was supposed to be there at 9.30. And the board of directors said he was going to be there. But he wants to go pray. He wants to go pray. And he, he gets to the shul, and uh, the guy asks, you know, he's getting there, and he figures he might have to leave early, but there's he's the 10th man. But he's got an important business meeting. And there's a guy leading the prayers, and uh, and uh, he stays. And this guy prays slow. And he's looking at his watch. And 9.30 is coming on. And he knows he's late for the meeting. But he can't leave. How could he leave? The guy here is praying. He obviously has yard sites for a parent, and it's important to him to stay. He stays. And the people in the meeting... Everybody in the meeting room is getting real nervous. Where is our president? Why is the president of the bank not here? He knew the meeting was 9.30. And when you show up late to these meetings, these guys could care less about you. They have no use for you. You're late for the meeting. We'll find another bank. We're not playing around over here. And he gets to the building, and he steps into the elevator, and it happens to be that the guy who led the prayers um, is in the elevator with him. 
and the, and he thanks him for staying to make sure he had a minion. It was his father. They have a conversation. Man, they're going to the same floor. They get off the elevator. They're going down the hallway to the same meeting room. And he walks into the meeting room. The gentleman who led the prayers walks into the meeting room. Who's the guy who led the prayers? He's the head of the other bank that wants to make the merger. You think that merger went through? You think showing up late cost him? No. Showing up late... You can't just show up late for meetings. Staying for the full prayer created his new bank. And by the way, that bank went on to merge with another bank and another bank, and he's a major, major CEO of a quite large national bank right now. But you got to imagine, it all comes back to the first one. Yeah, we know we can guarantee, right? But when it comes to prayer, right, if you think running out is making you money, it's just the opposite. You can't make these stories up. You just can't make them up. I tell you one more story to my prayers. So many stories over here. Um, many, many years ago, when I was a little boy, I was in seventh grade. I can't remember if I told you guys this story. I was in seventh grade, and my friend, who was new to the school, and it was like an eighth grade raffle, and he comes over to me and he says, You know, my class upset. I didn't sell any raffles. Could you buy a raffle ticket? Now, nowadays, my kids need to buy a raffle ticket. They come home, Oh, I bought a raffle ticket. I need a dollar. Here's a dollar. But I actually grew up in a home where you didn't just get money because you said you wanted money. I, I, I may right or wrong, but I thought there was no money in my house. So I was always like very nervous to ask my parents even for a dollar. I just was. And, but I figured like this, if I win the raffle, so then I can tell my parents, oh, I, 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 I won the raffle. Oh, but I need a dollar for the raffle. I figured that makes sense. How am I going to win the raffle? What's my guarantee? I prayed my best prayer probably in my life. I said, God, you got to make me win this raffle. I got to win. And I won. I won a stupid blue plastic radio. But it didn't matter because now I won. Now I can go get the money. And everybody's happy. And that's exactly what happened. And for years, I always wondered, was that an appropriate prayer or not? I always wondered... Yeah, you waste such a beautiful prayer. You put you put everything into the prayer, and you wasted it on a radio. So when I was younger, this really troubled me. But as I've gotten older, I look back and I say that was the best prayer. Forget the radio. That wasn't the point. The point was that a boy in seventh grade can learn that. You could talk to God. God could say yes. God could say no. But the point of prayer is that you're recognizing God's in control. And by me doing that super prayer, because I felt I needed something, good I got what I needed. Irrelevant. What's relevant is that I recognized I was talking to God and God could take care of me. And he did. Now, either I haven't prayed so good to win the lottery, because I did not win the last, uh, whatever it is, Powerball. I tried. I obviously didn't pray like I did then. Maybe I'm embarrassed to pray for money now. I have no idea. But I certainly didn't uh, 
put in that kind of prayer, and um, therefore I did not win. Or I wasn't supposed to win anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Um, talking about prayers, one more thing, I probably have 30 seconds. So I told you, I came back from my father's uh, yard site. So talk about my father for a second. So my father was the guy who walked around synagogue telling everybody to be quiet. The rabbi did not like talking during prayers. My father was the guy who walked around, and he got abuse for it forever. People yelled and screamed, and they didn't like it, and he didn't care. The rabbi says no talking. I tell you no talking. After doing this for a couple of years, the rabbi comes over to him and says, you know, Mr. Jacobson, I want you to stop. Now, for most people, you know, this is my thing. You can't ask me to stop. This is who I am. I'm the guy that goes around and tells people to stop talking. If you take away my job, what do I have left? But that's not why my father did it. My father didn't walk around telling people to stop praying, stop talking during prayers because that was his thing. My father's thing was, I do whatever the rabbi tells me. If the rabbi tells me walk around and tell people to stop talking, I walk around and tell people to stop talking. If the rabbi tells me stop walking around, well, if my thing is that I listen to the rabbi, then I got to stop walking around. And the music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to our wonderful production team. We have David in the back. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi C. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NR Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. While the world were gonna 